Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. All right, so you just came back from another, was six months? Trek to Ghana? Is that correct? Every six months I go. Every go twice a year. I get to go about three, three and a half weeks. Just came back at the end of September. Okay. Amazing trip. Productive, amazing trip. Even three and a half weeks is not enough. I'd love to stay there four or five Mm -hmm. weeks, but uh, Mm -hmm. as a pediatrician, my group is looking for me after a while. I would imagine. My patients are looking for me after a while. He's going AWOL. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. So let's kind of, we're going to probably be all over the board a little bit today, and that's great. Um, Talk about the current project that, that... was part of this last trip yeah let me tell you about it so hope for ghana uh is is doing a lot of stuff with education and we'll we'll talk more about that and uh a lot of stuff with providing access to clean water and i accomplished a lot in these last few weeks so my team it's a local team of ghanaian workers masons carpenters electricians i got a whole crew over there okay um we're building our second school so we're in a village a remote village when I tell you, Eric, remote, you've never seen remote like this. I'm talking like dirt roads. It's remote. It's village life, mud huts, no electricity, no running water. You folks are no staying in those roads. accommodations as well. How's so that work? I stay a little bit outside of there. I have okay. a guest house outside okay. Uh, okay. with more accommodations. Um, yeah. But this is really remote. And I found this village because these kids would have to walk. If I, if I don't build a school there, these kids would be walking miles to get to the nearest school. Or they wouldn't go to school at all. Right. That's what happens because parents can't send like a four, five, six-year-old on the roadside miles. So they often maybe don't even go to school till like they're age eight, nine, or ten. So imagine now you can build a school there and mm-hmm. now three and four-year-olds can go. Right. They're going to school like five, six, seven more years than they would have gone. So my team, we're in the middle of, this was the second phase of building our second school. Okay. So six months ago, we built the foundation and a little bit of the structure. And then in September, we went from what's called the lentil level Mm -hmm. uh, up to the roof. We actually have a roof on there. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. And so I'll go back in the spring, and we'll put the final pieces together, painting it, uh, putting a library in there, uh, desks, desks, windows, doors, all all the final touches. Wow. And open it. Open it up as a formal school. Yeah, it, it's, it's been so amazingly cool. rewarding. It has to be. It's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. So this is our second school. The first school was finished about a year ago, September of 2018. I opened my first school. Right. And it's beautiful. Now I'm seeing it flourishing. I'm seeing a headmaster. There was a sign there that's a visionary. He wants to make that school the best school in Ghana. And so there's oh, pride. It's pride. It's absolutely pride because he knows what's been given to that tiny village. That was also also another very remote village. It's called Gakpokope. I bet you can't say that, I, Eric. Again, once so, I'll, I'll, I'll try. Gak Pokope. Gak Pokope. Gak Pokope. You're close. Gak Pokope. It was good. It was good. <laughs> it's okay. The Ghanaians <laughs> laugh at me when I say it too. So, but they really I'm laugh laughing at myself. It. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, so that school is flourishing now. To go there, man, and see a school that started from zero students now has over seventy students. Uh, wow. Three teachers, a fourth one coming. It's beautiful. It's seventy beautiful. students already over seventy students, and and, <sighs> and more coming as we speak, as I hear about it. So I'll tell you about. I, so there, I have but, but, so about there, there is school. a, and that always gets back to what I've always believed: there is a general thirst in the human experience to learn. 
Would oh, you would you would you, not, yes. would you agree? Yes, the the greatest gift you can give. Uh, one of the there's so many, but the, one of the greatest gifts is education. Education is is a chance where you can level the playing field, right? Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. you give them opportunity. You're mm-hmm. giving them knowledge, knowledge. You're giving them power uh, to to function in the world. Yeah. You yeah. know, so so sure. So these are communities where I'm going. I'm finding communities that. They have no access to school, mm-hmm. uh, or, or like I said, or, otherwise they would walk. They would walk miles to go to school. In Ghana, they have this concept that's really interesting. It's called schools under a tree. So there are kids. Imagine learning under a tree. They have no schools. The government can't afford to give them a structure. So these kids set up some some chairs. They tack a board onto the trunk of the tree, and they use that as a blackboard. And teachers come and teach them. So you're at the mercy of the weather, the scorching mm-hmm. sun, the rain, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, how can they learn like that? It's 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 horrible, right? We, we can't even fathom what that is. I mean, exactly. they, you know, we don't we'll, understand. We don't understand. So to give them, give them a school, give them uh, a library within a school, and that's how my work started. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about yeah, that. Right but kind of the libraries, to give them books, uh, to give them a school that has textbooks. Most of the schools in Ghana don't even have textbooks. Uh, or they might have two textbooks for a classroom of fifty people. It's right. it's it's amazing what right. you can do. It's amazing what you, what you can do. So, so yeah. So now I uh, I'm very proud. We're building our second school, and uh, it'll be finished in the spring when I go back. All right. So let's do the Eric McKenna project deep dive, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I need a drink for this one, right? That's right, a comfortable deep dive, mm-hmm. yeah. So the next show, when the Doctor comes back for show number two, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> he's going to have an evening. We might we might have alcohol on that show, Doctor. I like that. I like that. <laughs> We're in the afternoon here today, because I want to keep it professional. So this is a very accomplished guest we have here today. We're on our best behavior here. That's it. Um, Talk about childhood. Where, where, where are you originally from? Pittsburgh? No. So I grew up on Long Island. Okay. Uh, a wonderful family. Uh, uh, we're four kids. I have an older brother, two younger sisters, and we grew up in typical suburbia of Long Island, okay. outside of New York City. Uh, my parents chose Long Island because it, for the school system, it was a, just a better sure. place to raise kids in terms of sc- better schools mm-hmm. than uh, probably the New York City schools. Okay. So grew up there. Uh, my family has migrated into New York City. After all of us kind of grew up, went off to college, my parents quickly moved to Manhattan. So they're okay. in New York City. Okay. And uh, yeah, and most of my siblings have followed. I'm, I'm the guy that stayed behind. I'm in Pittsburgh. You're the outlier. I'm the outlier, <laughs> but I'm, I'm the vacation resort. They love coming uh, to visit course, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is the vacation resort for them. I, you don't hear Pittsburgh and vacation too often together. It's a vacation resort. Ask my parents. They love it. They're Amazing. Great. Yeah. They've even thought about moving to Pittsburgh. They love wow. They love Pittsburgh. My, my whole family loves Pittsburgh. How was childhood yeah. for you? Were you a happy kid? Or do you, do you, do you look back kid. at it, relatively speaking, you, had a, you know, it was good Very for you? Very happy. Very happy kid. I was, uh, I was a studious kid. I was a studious kid. Okay. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. But I, I, I think I loved uh, moving on after childhood to college and beyond. I felt like I, I flourished in college. That's when I... That's when I kind of found me. That kind of so you were always kind of looking sense. ahead then as a, as a child, which, which is not always. Yeah, maybe, but but I think I just found. I think it actually it just happened. It just okay. happened. Okay. But childhood it was good. It was good. It was. Uh, where did you do, Where fun. did you do your undergrad? So I went to uh, University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and loved it. Is that it. Penn? That's Penn. Penn. Yeah. 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 Is Penn. A, where is that? It's in. It's in, it's it's in, in West Philadelphia. West Philadelphia. It's in right. West Philadelphia. Right, right, right. Um, 
minute minutes walk from uh, de- uh, Center City. Okay. And I love Philadelphia. So I had grown up. My mother's whole family is from Philadelphia. So I grew up. Our vacations were going to Philadelphia to see my grandparents right, right, and right. aunts and uncles and cousins. Right. So Philadelphia was kind of home for me. And then uh, when I visited Penn, I knew as a high school senior. That was the place for you. This is the place for me. This is the place where I'm going. Okay. And I just, it was just, it was just, it was beautiful. It's just a beautiful experience. Any moment in your life that, that, that might have been the trigger for medicine for you? So I kind of always knew. I'll tell tell you an interesting story. Sure. Pediatrics was not, was not the first reason I went to medical school, in fact, but I kind of knew medicine eh, through high school, at the end of high school. In college, I knew. I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but okay. when was it? In um, Probably in college. Early in college, I did a summer program okay. uh, at Bellevue Hospital in New York. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know anything about Bellevue Hospital, Bellevue Hospital is a general hospital. What, it, what it's known for, you may have seen in the movies, is its psychiatric ward. Right. Um, really uh, an, an incredible psychiatric ward. And I did, I did a lot of work. I did some volunteer work, I think over a couple of summers, um, working with uh, interesting people, schizophrenics, bipolar people. And I, and I saw psychiatrists really kind of get into their mind and really help them, really do some amazing things with them. And I thought, wow, what if I could do that? You know, really get, because those minds, they're, they're complicated, right? They're more than complicated. And I loved it. So... I was asking the main psychiatrist at Bellevue, what should I do? Should I get a clinical uh, degree, like a PhD, like a clinical uh, psychology degree, or become a psychiatrist? And it was his advice, kind of the way of the world at that time, was towards medicine, moving towards medicine. Uh, so he convinced me to, do, to go to medical school to be a psychiatrist. So that was my first thought when I went to medical school. And in med school, you do your first two years just in the lecture hall, so you don't mm-hmm. really... You don't really fine-tune what you want to do. Right. It's all, you know, neuroscience, biochemistry. But then by the third year, you're required to do, like, a couple of months of psychiatry, a couple of months of peds, pediatrics, a couple of months of surgery. Right. And then you really kind of get a taste of everything. And I did my psych rotation. I did my psych rotation, and it just wasn't as interesting. It was like interesting. middle-aged oh. man that was just, unha- everyone was just unhappy. Okay. I felt like I was just in this unhappy place. I don't like my life. I don't like my wife. I don't like this. And I really, I, 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 I and then I did my peds rotation and that mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. that was, that's in my DNA. Just helping kids work and just enjoying that, watching kids grow up, you know, being part of their life from, mm-hmm. you know, development and infancy to, you know, when they go off to college. I loved so that. that was your passion. That was my passion. I realized quickly the psychiatry was not the way for me. Um, and so once I had done that peds rotation, I knew. I knew where my destiny was. And I've loved it. It's it's For me, it's like working in a playground. You know, it's just fun. Yeah. It's and it, really I fun. Think, but would you not agree it does take a special type of person? Because there's a lot of patience involved, probably more patience yeah. involved a, with that, that field, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of patience. I, I think in all of medicine, you have to have a lot of patience. But yeah, in pediatrics, a lot of patience. Um, you're dealing with so many populations you're dealing with you're dealing with the parents mm-hmm. that's a challenge mm-hmm. sure. you're dealing with the patient the, the kid himself and sure. at different ages it's more of a challenge you know an infant can't tell you what's wrong absolutely not right um and then uh you get towards the adolescents and college kids that have a whole different set of challenges interesting fascinating kind of my favorite age group okay but different set of challenges and then you have of course the external forces around us now like grandparents who want to give advice the internet where they oh. get a lot of advice <laughs> what's that, that called web md <laughs> exactly 
Exactly. The, I will Do- never go there. <laughs> Eric, Dr. Google is oh my now gosh. the most important doctor in their life sometimes. No, but uh, it, it is. Yeah, so there are a lot of external forces, but you, you need a lot of patience. You need a lot of patience to uh, understand, because, and you have to, each population is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The two-year-old, the five-year-old, the 15-year-old, uh, kids with special needs. So it's, it's, you're always, every time you walk in that room, it's something different. So it's mentally it's challenging and fascinating for you. It's fascinating. A fascinating, fascinating but, but challenging. Sure. I can imagine. Sure. Every, yeah. every, like I said, every time you walk in that room, you don't know what you're going to get. You know what I mean? You, it's, it, it's, it's something new. It's something new. How did you get to Pittsburgh? So from Penn, I went mm-hmm. off to medical school in Vermont, University of Vermont okay. in, in Burlington, okay. which I loved. I loved the medical school in Vermont. Vermont's beautiful, though, isn't it? It's beautiful. It is beautiful. I find it beautiful. <laughs> Eric, I'll tell you when I find it beautiful. In the summer, which is very short. Uh, in the <laughs> <Yeah>. summer. Correct. <laughs> Unless yeah. you're a skier. Yes, I wasn't a skier. So the winters were brutal for me. Sure. They were brutal. No, I couldn't I wait that. to get out of there. But it's beautiful. Oh, you have Lake Champlain there. You have, um, it's a college town. You have this, sure. I forget the Main Street, what it's called. Oh, I think it's called Main Street, actually. Yeah. Not it. It's like Main Street, right? And it's, it's cute. It's beautiful. It's um, quaint. It's quaint. It's so quaint. Beautiful. Small town, which I didn't mind. I didn't mind that. But the winters were, winters are like from October to April. <laughs> that was a lot for me. Um, but I loved it. it so, so Vermont, I'll tell you what I loved most about Vermont. It taught you... I think they emphasize just taking care of the, that total patient, really dealing with the person. Not the emphasis wasn't always on the neurochemistry or the biochemistry. Not, not this. It was more taking care of people. Did it have really, anything? Was, did it have anything to do with the pace? A little bit, a little bit of the pace. They even even the curriculum. I'll tell you. So very different than most med schools. Most are two years of lecture and then two years of clinical rotations. Okay. They do one and a half years of lecture. So that they put more of an emphasis for two and a half years okay. on clinical. So they want you to do more hands-on, more dealing with the patient. The emphasis when you had, what my teachers taught me, just dealing with really with uh, looking at the whole total patient. Don't focus on a problem, mm-hmm. but this that problem is part of a, a person, and that person is part of a bigger life. You have to look at the whole thing. It's uh, interesting. It, it's, it's really uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, so it gives me a, a you know a nice perspective of how I deal with my patients today. Th- that was my next yeah. question. So, do you think your mannerisms and style were crafted there? I think so. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and if I can boast, can I boast? You certainly can. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, this is your it's show. This is your show, pal. It's our show. Right? It's <laughs> Fair our enough. Show. Yeah. Fair so enough. I uh, I don't win a lot of awards in my life. It's 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 which is fine. It's it's humbling, but it's great. I won an award in medical school, the Lamb Fellowship Award. Okay. Named after Dr. Lamb, I guess, for care, and I believe it was voted uh, by my peers. Mm-hmm. Um, which is always the best awards. Right, right, yeah, because you, you, your peers know you. They, they really know you, and uh, and it shows the respect of someone who's in the same field, right, mm-hmm. that, wow, they voted for you. It was about uh, the care of that total patient, right, and I think they watched how I dealt with patients, um, whether it was, was a man with AIDS or a child with cancer. They saw, wow, it wasn't just the problem at hand, but I dealt with... The whole, the, the whole, the mm-hmm. whole entity, the, the person, the life he had, the life of the people he was surrounded by. So it was good. It was, it was my most, it was a proud moment. That's the most fascinating thing to me about medicine. Period is that the knowledge, the the internal confidence you have, you have to have to pursue that the career. But yeah. once you become a practicing 
physician in any capacity, that whole other dynamic of they call it bedside manners. It's, I guess that's yeah. an overused term, but the but whole it's, but it's a lot. It's but, a lot, right? And the approach, the entire approach to the patient, um, the, to me, the great physicians really get it. They're, but that's a, that's a you have to be made up a certain way, right? I mean, if you're a stoic person, you go into medicine for a specific narrow type of surgery, maybe where you don't truly have to interact that much. Right. You can get away with you being away yourself, with right? Yeah. Yeah. What you were yeah. describing to me is the most fascinating part about medicine to me. It's not, it isn't the lectures and getting through the studies. It isn't even the residency. It's the, it's when you choose a practice. First of all, what practice do you choose? And number two, how do you approach the patient That's beyond good. medicine? Because medicine, I think we think of it, um, especially when you look on WebMD or Google, it, it's, it's a problem. Plug in the symptom. Put it in the browser. Here's the symptom and here's your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The diagnosis may have nothing to do with that symptom. Maybe there's some other, so many other issues that could be going on in that person's life that are causing that symptom. So it's it, you, you have to look, especially in pediatrics, you have to look at, at the total patient. And in, in pediatrics, it's more than even the total patient; it's the total family, really yeah. the family dynamics that are that are. So that's way more encompassing than what you really learned in med school. It's so much more, right? So it, a lot of it's innate. You have to have that feel, but right. Um, right. yeah, a lot of it's experience, but a lot of it's that innate what you want to put into it, and it is its bedside manner. Um, that sure, that's what that's what I pride myself on. I always think that anyone, if you're comparing on, uh, like when you go to these med, these doctor reviews, what do they call, like rate your doctor? I know of them, never saw one. Right, right. So anyone can uh, check off, I listen, he listened to it in my heart well, listens to my lungs, ears, nose, throat, whatever. Anyone can do that, but what I think a doctor really brings, it, it, it's all the other stuff. The intangibles. It, the intangibles, that bedside manner, how does he listen, how does he... How does he put everything together in terms of what, what what's going on in your life, mm -hmm. what you need right now, more than just – it's not a single symptom at all. Because if it a patient is. doesn't feel that the physician cares – that's everything. That's, they're yeah. gonna walk out, and they're gonna be dissatisfied. Especially Absolutely. in today's cult, today's very reactionary culture with the web. I mean, it's brutal yeah. at times. <laughs> it is brutal at times. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, Google is my biggest competitor. It's not the it's not the pediatrician down the street. It's amazing. It's Google, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, if you give them the gift of, you know, uh, the gift of what you can bring to the it's table, yourself. you're giving to yourself. That's it. They'll come back. They come mm -hmm. back and they, they they love that. They love that. I think that's because don't wouldn't you agree, doctor? That's the the human experience. We we want we want the genuine emotion from other humans, especially those who are there when when we're fearful, when we're we're vulnerable, right? Absolutely. And I think that when you receive that from a physician, I can speak to my own physician, wonderful man, um, and, and surgeons I've had, and some I didn't care for, but most I did. But the right. ones I the ones I truly didn't think much of didn't really show much compassion or really any interest in in me in the scope of what was happening. Does that make any sense? Right. Just a human reaction. Absolutely. Right. No, mm. it is. It's it's uh it, it it's even small things. Uh I know a patient a, a patient of mine who now brings his kids to me. It's mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. So at the time when I saw this guy probably in high school, maybe ten years, let's say ten years ago, fifteen maybe more, fifteen years ago, um, I knew he played for Penn Trafford. He was a running back for Penn Trafford. And I would I would always watch I love looking at the the line scores on Saturday morning after the Friday night games. Sure. Like who scored, who was the quarterback that threw for the most yards, who was the running back that ran for the most yards. They were my kids, right? They were my patients. So I called this Absolutely. I called this guy on Monday morning to congratulate him. 
because he was a running back for PT and he was successful. Wow. He was a beast. Wow. So he couldn't believe he still remembers to this day uh-huh. Uh-huh. that Dr. Green's the guy that not just not just to carry me the sore throats and the ear infection, that's easy. But that took the time to call me on Monday morning to tell me how proud I was of him. Mm-hmm. So little things, right? But but you're just being yourself. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and that's, that's and it. it's. I, but I think the niceties, the small things in life, the gestures, uh, they go a long way. They go a long way. They go a long way in people's stories. That child remembers that. That's it. That's when it. it's part of the story, and I think that's again human interaction. And, and I think a lot of us miss a lot of opportunities, me included, at times right. because we're we're doing our doing everything else life so fast right right right, but, right. Uh, and even in the doctor's office look you're seeing patients every like 15 minutes 20 minutes whatever it is it, it takes a lot of patience to say i'm not going to run next door i'm going to spend a little extra time mm-hmm. here because i know this kid needs me and i mm-hmm. see that there's something more to the story than just the abdominal pain or the headaches why is this kid getting abdominal pain for the last six months every morning why is mm-hmm. he getting headaches you know what else is going on in his life and you have to take that time it takes a lot of patience I can imagine. Sometimes the parent next door doesn't like that. But. Sure, sure. That's well. But it happens, right? Speaking as a patient, right? sitting in a sitting in a waiting room, you would not like after, seeing after Dr. Green. The, you wouldn't like seeing me then. I'm just saying. But think, once I'm in that room, it's, yeah, we're, you, it's awesome. Yeah, it it's the awesome, anxi- right? anxiety is there. Yes. yes, I can assure you. That's it. Um, <laughs> without a doubt. So yeah. again, you're in Vermont. You leave Vermont. So I leave Vermont, mm-hmm. um, and. What you have in medical school is called match day. It's kind of an interesting process. Pardon me? Match day. So yeah. you are matched, your interests in a program are matched with their interests with you. I don't know that any other profession does this. I don't think law or dental mm. school, I don't think anyone else does this. But you basically go and interview. So I went on interviews to, for different residency programs because after medical school, you have to be trained. So you leave medical school with an MD degree, right? I'm a medical doctor. But I'm not a pediatrician yet. I have to go for training in pediatrics. Okay. okay. So I did interviews at uh, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, uh, St. Christopher's Hospital for Children in Philadelphia, National Mm -hmm. Medical Center in Washington, those are all children's hospitals, and a few others, Cincinnati, Cleveland, all great programs, all great residencies. Any place would have been amazing to train. They're all, like, top-notch. And I just love, I fell in love. I'd never heard of Pittsburgh. I never even knew of Pittsburgh. You, really? I mean, I really, I didn't know anything about Pittsburgh. You had never been here. Never been here. Never been here. I think the most I knew, because I followed baseball as a kid, I was a Mets fan. So I knew we, we were in the same. We hold that against Jim. <laughs> right, right, right. We had a good team, 60 I'm not a Pirate right. fan either, though. Yeah, yeah, we have nothing to speak <laughs> That's up here. exactly but, right. But uh, no, we were in the same division at that time oh, yeah. as the Pirates. Oh, yeah. And I remember watching the games, and I would follow everything, like their batting averages and everything. And I remember the, the I remember. John Matlack, Tom, yeah. Tom Seaver, Tom Seaver, Duffy Dyer. Yeah, my, my hero was Rusty Stop. Rusty Stop. Did you Rusty know Rusty Stop? Yeah. Does anyone know? Yeah. Right? I, yeah. Love, I don't know why I worship him. He, he was a good four. player. Number four, right? Yeah, he was a good player. I loved him. I yeah. don't remember what it was, but but I remember when we played the Pirates, those Pirates looked so big, right? Billy Stark. <laughs> they were. They were huge. Right. <laughs> no Dave one Parker. Had, yeah, they were more like football. They looked like uh-huh. football players. Uh-huh. So that's how I knew Pittsburgh. I didn't know much about Pittsburgh. But um, so, yeah, I, I fell in love with the program. And so and I don't remember the exact process. You have to rank them. So I ranked Pittsburgh number one, I think St. Christopher's Hospital number two, whatever. You rank them. And then these programs are ranking you. And somehow wow. on one day, well, the computer match, it's preparing over weeks. On a computer match, 
they find the best match. Like, if you love Pittsburgh, did they love you enough to get you into that program? I got into Pittsburgh. I got into my first choice. They must have liked me, right? Okay. But it's, it's, it's an interesting process, right? It was the destiny. It was my destiny. So it was great. And I never left. So it must have really been your destiny. <laughs> yes, a great program, a great program. I loved, I loved my residency. It's hard. Residency is hard. It's training. That's what I hear. You're paid like nothing to do a lot of work. And you don't get much sleep. You don't get much sleep. But I had the greatest teachers in the world, like the wow, the doctors, ooh, Ellen Wald, Carl Gardner, Basil Zatelli, Monsters in the field, like brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant Holly Davis. Yeah, brilliant. So you, so you feel very fortunate to be trained by I who you were trained by. I was fortunate, Eric. I'm telling you, I saw nothing can walk into my life right now that I that I fear that I didn't see. Like right. I saw, I felt like I saw everything, whether it was in the emergency room or the neonatal intensive care unit or on the floors. I felt like I was prepared. Yeah, wow. you walk out of there and you feel really good. Children's Hospital, I still think, is ranked in the top 10 children's yeah. hospitals in the country. Wow. It's great. And I think even then, back then it was like number five. So, yeah, I was privileged. I, I was privileged to train there. Mm. So talking, Is this in the 70s? Late, late 70s, early 80s? No. So, um, when did I did 80, 89 to 92. I did okay. my residency. You, okay. 89 to 92. Okay. Yeah. I was in med so I wasn't trying to predate you there, pal. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me very old. Eric. No. You're going to edit this one. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> wow. No, no, no. No, yeah. I, I, had, a, I yeah. had a family member that was a, <laughs> that was a nurse there for a long time. Was, and she was also a instructor at Duquesne University, Margaret McKenna. She was at uh, Children's Hospital for McKenna. decades. Okay. She may have been toward the end of retirement around the time that you okay. that you might have Okay. Either. Anyway, she, she, it's all good. Yeah. So I grew up knowing about how amazing that facility is. It's amazing. It really is. It's amazing. Amazing it's, facility. It's, it's uh, just brilliant people. It attracts brilliant people. And to train there, it, it, it's, it's a gift. Mm-hmm. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. And then you, then you look for jobs. You look okay. for jobs afterwards. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah. It's... it's uh, I, and here I am, still doing, still doing, <laughs> right here, still do, right here. Let me here. No, so I've been in practice for twenty-seven years. Yes, right. it's ninety-two, ninety-two, and it's been good. It's been good. Mm, yeah, and yeah. you obviously have a passion for it. Life's good. Now, it's fun. Yeah. I am fascinated about Ghana, and from the information yeah. that I I read. Yeah. You went there roughly 20 years ago? More, more. I went there, thir- you ready? Sit down, Eric. 33 years ago. 33, 33 years, years ago. ago. So if you put the timeline together, it's related to medical school. It was uh-huh. in my first, Absolutely. the end of the first year of medical school. It's the one summer that you have off. After your second year and your third year, you have obligations. You're, you're, you're basically in school 12 months a year. But after your first year of medical school, you have a summer, like almost like college. You know, you have like a couple of months off huh. t- that are free. Okay. And one of the upperclassmen had just come back from this program. It was a nonprofit group from New York, Operation Crossroads Africa. And he introduced me. He, he, he fell in love with his experience. He said, Steve, you should think about, and I think he spoke to a lot of us, and he said, you should think about this program. It sends you to Africa. You don't know where you're going. Operation Crossroads Africa sends people on agricultural trips, construction trips, um, 
medical trips. I forget what else, but you could if so many things. So I applied for the medical trip since I was prepared with one year of medical mm-hmm. school. Not a lot, Naturally. right? <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot of training. I had, I had biochemistry behind me, right? Like, what is that going to do in Africa? You realize, Eric, not, not a lot. Not much. Not much, but I'll tell you how, how Ghana translates that in a minute. But, sure. Uh, so, um, and I got a sign. So I got a sign from Operation Crossroads Africa to go to Ghana. I learned, and I went with a group of 10 people, and we split off. Five people worked in this village called Suhum. S-U-H-U-M, Suhum. And then five people went off to another place for about seven weeks. And then we met again to travel. After uh, seven weeks, we traveled for about three weeks. All through Ghana, to the west, Ivory Coast, Togo on the east. We we traveled all the surrounding countries. It It was fascinating. But I fell in love with it. Oh, my. Did I fall in love with Africa. You fell in love with the continent. Fell in love with the people. The warm, oh, warm, welcoming people. Amazing people. I basically... Lived. I became part of the family of the doctor that I worked with, Dr. Marbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I basically lived with him and his wife and their kids. I was I was family, more than family, right. um, to them. And Africa's amazing. Africa's amazing. You're, I always tell the story, you're assaulted, certainly the first time you go, but even after by the, the, the scent, your senses are assaulted, sure, like with sure. the taste, the smells, the textures, the colors. Mm-hmm. It's it's so bright. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I love it. There's a funny story. Like when I when I'm in, there's a smelling, a beautiful smell in Ghana. So when I see the smells, it's not just like food. It's like this um, humid. Uh, the foliage, uh, the trees. No, it's, the... it's like a little. <laughs> I want to say almost like a little, like a molded smell, okay. but almost like burnt corn. It's from the humidity. I think it's just the humidity creates a little bit of that mm-hmm. mold. It mm-hmm. is, I love it. I know I'm back in Ghana. Got it. When I smell that, I miss it. Got when it. I get out on the plane after three weeks, I'm like, I don't smell. I'm like, I, 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 want to, I need to go back. Okay. But it's, so, but it's okay. the colors, it's the people. And, and you're, you're, you're overwhelmed by the needs there. You're overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the needs, mm-hmm. and you see you see some horrible things. You see poverty. I mean, most of all, you're gonna see poverty. It's it's so impoverished. Um, you see so much that you could look at as desperation and hopelessness. And all I saw, Eric, was was hope and opportunity. That's opportunity, how I looked at opportunity it. Opportunity to help. Opportunity to help. And that's why I went back year after year. That's how I looked at it. The there were you know to say there's. Uh, there, there are no problems in Ghana. It would be ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. There are many problems, but I didn't look at it that way. I thought, oh my God, how can I help? Like, how can I help? What, what, what kind of opportunity do they have? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was overwhelming. I'll tell you one of the most overwhelming stories. My first trip, right? I used to play on the hospital grounds. The, the nurses had homes near the hospital. Um, they had uh, homes they uh, they rented, and so at the end of my shift, I would play with the kids, do their homework with them. At the end of the day, play mm-hmm. with the kids. Mm-hmm. So, I can remember it like it was yesterday. This was literally 33 years ago. Wow. A woman came up to me, and in Ghana, they carry their k- children on their back. Yeah. They yeah. have like a, um, a garment that, that holds right. the baby on the back. Right. So, they can still do work. They can right. accomplish two things at once. And this woman came up to me. The baby was probably three, four months old, probably not much more than that. And she came up to me and said, will you take my baby with you? to America oh my absolutely that was my reaction I thought I was just struck by it and thought maybe she's just kidding you know maybe I don't think she really meant that 
but she did. Mm-hmm. She did. And I think it speaks volumes of the need, the, the kind of that desperation in, in, in Africa of that's what a woman would do. Could you imagine we, uh, an American person? It's we, unfathomable. We, we can't fathom it, right? right. But that goes on there. She, that woman, Eric, would have given me her baby literally on that spot. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, man. It haunts me to this day. I tell the story a lot, and I still, as I'm telling you now, I have chills down my spine. She would have given me that baby because she knew if she gave uh, this man from America that baby, he, he or she, I don't remember the baby, would have had an opportunity that he or she would have never had in Ghana. It's, right. it's, it's sad. It's tragic, right? How can so, that not leave a mark on you? Exactly. I remember when I went... Um, I forget where I read it. It was somewhere associated with looking at this program to go to Africa. Someone had written, your first trip to Africa will never be your last. And I understand it. Because I thought because I, th- I thought I was going for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I've been in Ghana now 35 times at least. I can't Incredible. even count anymore. So it's never a once-in-a-lifetime because it, it draws you back. It draws you back to help that kid. That kid, who, uh, that kid now on her back is 33 years old. And God bless him, I hope. I hope he's doing something, you know, and, and, and has a good life there. But you want to do something to, to be sure that these kids have a good life. Mm-hmm. So I went back year after year. I went back to work with a doctor, stay with their family. Um, and then if you fast forward, almost nine years ago, my niece wanted to go to Africa with me. She wanted to go to Ghana. She said, Uncle Stevie, t- take me to Ghana. I've heard all these stories. I've heard about the people. I see the love you have for them. She wanted to go. And she's, it's Rebecca. She wanted to, uh, she still does. She wants to save the world. She's that person. She's a social worker. The world needs people like that. Yes, she's amazing. So she's my brother's uh, firstborn. Uh, amazing, amazing young woman. And I think she was just at the end of college at the time. And so I took her to Ghana with me. But I didn't take her to that same place where I was doing medical work because they couldn't find me an orphan. I, I figured like an orphanage would be a great place to take her. Sure. Social work experience, save the world, kind of that would be good. It's non-medical. So we found our way to a different region of Ghana called the Volta region. Okay. Uh, and we went to an orphanage. And Eric, that changed my life. 28 kids that just absolutely changed my life. Beautiful kids, wisdom, Kakeli, so, comfort. So prior, so prior, yeah. where were you for the years you were going regularly? So where I was, was you what's t- called the Eastern Region? Okay, um, Eastern for Ghana, but west of the capital. So if you fly mm-hmm. into Accra, it's west. Um, and uh, I was doing my medical work always in that Eastern Region. Now I found myself uh, much further east in the Volta region, okay. very close to, and in fact, on the border of Togo. Togo okay. is the country just on the on the mm-hmm. east of there. So um, so you're there with her in this. With her, with her and it was a orphanage. new experience for you, too. New experience for me. So though the culture of Ghana was not new for me, I could guide her and teach her the ways sure. of you sure. know, navigating Ghana, because <laughs> you have to navigate. I can imagine. You have to navigate anywhere, right? We have right. to navigate life, but you got to navigate Ghana and Africa. Well, culture so, is different. Culture is different. I remember her being, she was just overwhelmed. She arrived in the airport and was just overwhelmed that day just being there. I think the humidity, the heat, the newness, I, even she was just overwhelmed. So I was able to guide her and navigate her through that. Mm. But it was a new experience. It was a new experience. I've never worked in an orphanage in my life, never in the United States or okay. anywhere. Okay. And wow, 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 wow. Beautiful kids. Um, that really, now I saw. All those needs of Africa, all those mm-hmm. needs of the Ghanaian people, through kind of their eyes, through their eyes. And so 
what do you do for kids? In, in the evening, I would take them out. I'd buy them food, right? Because they're all hungry. So they, you buy them a lot of food, and you buy them drinks, and and the food's gone, right? And right. so I would buy the orphanage now bags, like I'm talking like 100-pound bags of rice. Well, that was gone in two days, three days. Incredible. You know, and then you buy more bags. And, well, the next day they're hungry, right? Or you buy them shirts because they want shirts, but they're tattered in a few weeks or a few months, right? Or book bags and shoes, all the things. See, most most of the wonderful people listening to this and watching this show, you know, me included, we can't fathom that. It's mm-hmm. it's in the Western world. It's it's, it's so unfathomable. Yeah, it is. It is the world that I see that now is like my world. There, I take it for like I just take it as normal now. It's it's not. It's not our norm, no. You would be... That's real poverty. That's real poverty. It's poverty, brother. It's poverty. Not that we don't have... We have poverty in the United States. We We do. poverty right outside here in Pittsburgh. We do. In in some of the neighborhoods, for sure. It's not that poverty. It is. That is different kind of poverty. It Mm. really is. It's different poverty. Uh, So I came home from that orphanage... Were you there about a month? About a month. About three weeks. Three three weeks or so. Almost a month. Okay. And really the vision of my charity, this this mission that I was going to start, was born at that orphanage. It was born at that orphanage. And I thought, what can I give these kids beyond, the again, the shoes and the book bags and the shirts? Because that's what Uncle Steve has to do. You have to do that because that's what they're looking to you to do. Yeah. But that wasn't feeding their future. It wasn't giving that them what I call. was a Band-Aid. It was a Band-Aid, right, man? It was a Band-Aid. It was not giving them what I call their tomorrow, right? Their tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And they don't... It's so funny. I talk to people about that Ghanaian kids, even a lot of adults, don't have that sense of tomorrow. You bring up your kids, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? We, we bring kids up like that, right? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Or what do you want, want to plan for next week? For them, it's survival of the day in these, in these small towns and villages. It's survival of the day. Can I put food on, my, on the table for my children today? Can they have more than one meal? Can they have even one meal today? Can I pay my kids school fees? And often the answer is no. Can I do the basics? So tomorrow isn't expected. Tomorrow isn't even expected. It's not expected. And even in a mortality sense, the death rate is enormous there because of healthcare and so many other things, water and healthcare and all the other problems they have there. Is there any violence issues there at all? There are, in Ghana, thank God, there's not as much. If you're out late at night, you can get get into trouble. Um, I've heard stories even in Accra, the capital, that late at night, even the taxi drivers don't want to drive late at night. There's some armed robbers there. They're just looking. For, they're looking for money. They're looking right. for money. Um, it's that kind of desperation. Um, it's not a hot spot for. It's uh, not a hot spot for terrorism at all. Right, it's one, right. which is wonderful, and and that's why I feel very comfortable staying there because mm-hmm. I don't know if I could. If if I thought my life was in danger well, sure. all the time, I, I could not do that. Sure. But no, in terms of terrorism, there are plenty of countries in Africa where there is Somalia. Yeah, Nigeria, Nigeria. Is, is a hot spot. Really bad stuff going mm-hmm. on in these countries. But no, Ghana's uh, amazing. There's scams there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of scams going mm-hmm. on in Ghana. Uh, people from other countries right. coming right. in there and giving them bad ideas. Right. Young kids, again, desperate, not willing to do the hard work, like grinding it out, like doing the hard work like we know you have to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Just want a quick thing. They'll do they'll do all these scams with Americans. and well, These, you know, all these fraudsters have a captive audience there. Absolutely, right. absolutely. So, um, and I know I'm even told late at night, they'll say, Steve, like after nine o'clock, get, get back to your guest house. Because the people, if you need a taxi and you're stopping, you're hailing down a taxi, kind of like hitchhiking here, uh, 
you're going to run into the wrong people. And it's probably so, an assumption from from the good people that you might be a bad person if you're out that late. That's exactly right. Or they see me. Uh, I'm particularly vulnerable because they see, wow, this guy is a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Their assumption is you have money. doesn't matter. They don't know anything about me. They don't know what's in my pocket or my profession or anything. The assumption is he has money, and we're going to stop, and we're going to take from him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a whole culture that you have to kind of be mindful of there. Um that they want something they want especially late at night you got to be very careful so but uh when i left that orphanage i i basically wrote this vision statement it was almost like my i have Mm -hmm. a dream kind of statement Mm -hmm. my dream of wanting to to give them that tomorrow because they really don't they don't have that tomorrow and so i thought what do you what is their tomorrow made of and you know the late great nelson mandela said at best education is the greatest weapon we can use to change the world so that was the basis of my mission was education so my first thought and i scrambled to collect pennies and dollars and beg my friends to you know contribute to now looking back a small project to build a library and a computer lab at that orphanage wow so they gave me kind of an empty office space not that much bigger than your studio here. Mm-hmm. Not that much. Maybe a little wow. bit bigger, but a little bit. And so we created a small, it was a very small library, but a beautiful computer lab. I was proud of it. Looking back, I've, I've done much bigger yeah. things since then. Sure. And I'll tell you how I've gotten there. But was there, but, there was an internet at that time probably available to them, correct? So it's hard to get internet. So I'll tell you how I build my computer labs. It's okay. interesting because okay. internet, as you know, even in, especially in America and anywhere, Kids can get into the wrong places on the internet. Sure. So my computer programs are actually internet free. It's all learning software. So I download. Very cool. Right. Very cool. I have sixty-five pieces of software, kind of creative, like a lot of them are in game form, like they're games, but they're learning tools okay. for young kids learning their alphabet. It's it, programs for the young reader and the young math student too. The pre-algebra kid who can do math programs. So it's math, science, right. reading. Right. Um, Encyclopedia Britannica has this amazing uh, program. The entire encyclopedia is on there. On disk. So kind of like the internet without the internet. Right. Yeah. Right. This is which I created because you and I know that if if they have the internet, they're going to get on the wrong places. It's going to become like just a, a social media mm-hmm. outlet. Mm-hmm. I wasn't building a social media yeah. outlet, or you know what I mean. I, I wanted to. Build I was just up. curious how much interconnectivity they'd even have in those areas. You can get, you can get, you can buy, you can purchase credit to hook you up with okay. um, internet service there. I do it when I'm over there, and the kids. It's expensive for them. I bet. It's expensive. I bet. So I was trying to avoid like ongoing sure expenses costs. and costs exactly. Um, and keep it safe for them and keep it wholesome oh, and keep the, it... Oh, keeping it all captive in there yeah. and housed there, was that was exactly. definitely... Yeah, so I love that. Sure. So, so that's what I did, and then I met this guy, Platini. Platini mm-hmm. is a Ghanaian-educated guy. He's a teacher by trade. He heard of my work. Somehow he was affiliated with the orphanage in the past, and he heard of me, and I kind of started learning about him. He's a wonderful guy that is uh, kind of an outspoken guy against corporal punishment. Corporal punishment is huge in Ghana and many of the African continent, mm-hmm. and so he, he's really wonderfully outspoken to try to change the laws. And, and, and so he's really a human it. rights activist. Human rights activist. 
the first time I wrote about him on my website, I, I said that this guy, and I truly believe it still today, he should win a Nobel Peace Prize. He really should, Eric. He's he's that he's got that heart. He's a spokesman for the people. How do you pronounce the name again? Platini. P- Platini. Yeah, P L A T I N I. Wonderful guy. And he he's really responsible for kind of taking me from the orphanage level, which is beautiful, and I'm still in touch with the orphanage and, and all the kids. They still visit me. But taking me to a bigger place is so he says, Steve, I know you've been there. To but broaden me, your vision. Yes. So he said, let me take you to schools of like 800 students, 900 students, and we can plant a library and a computer lab. So now it's wonderful to affect 28 kids. That's beautiful. But how about now we right. we do 800 and you right. put it in a school where maybe in the evening they can keep it open and invite the community. And now you're affecting, you're impacting thousands of people with the same amount of work, the same amount of mm-hmm. uh, you know, the mm-hmm. money that has to go into it. Right. Now I'm using donations uh, a little smarter, some of these right? parents probably had very poor communication skills I would think Absolutely. some of them probably have can't read Absolutely absolutely it's just the children because they didn't because the parents didn't have any opportunities That's exactly right a lot of these kids especially in the small towns and villages are uneducated so the, the a lot of these I, I meet kids all the time I'll tell you a story um later about God's way God's way is a very interesting story mm-hmm. um that never had a day of schooling and they come from families that never had a day of schooling. So, so yeah. You almost wonder how they just got through the day. I right, mean. right. So a lot of these people that I meet, uh, they depend on the farmers. A lot of them are farmers or fishermen, especially farming. Farming is big there where I am. And, and so they depend on that, and that's, that barely feeds them. It mm-hmm. barely can feed them. Maybe the surplus they can sell in the marketplace. But it's hit and miss. If the weather's wrong or you know, the crops, the, the yield is just not great that year for whatever reason, wow. they, they suffer. They wow. really do suffer. So um, so Platini took me. And so we, we, we went to school after school. He found these schools where he said, wow, we can make a really big impact. And we did together. So, And the other thing that Platini did besides getting me to the right school, he built my a team because we're now – I went from one area where the orphanage was to kind of a different area, still in that Volta region, but kind of hours away, far mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And he built my team that's still with me today. So from my second library and computer lab to the third, fourth, fifth, I've done six of them. Wow. To now, I'll tell you about schools. Wow. I have the same team, the core. Yeah. My masons, my carpenters, my electricians, they're the same. That's amazing. That's amazing because I'm going to tell you what you need in life, but you need, especially in Ghana, is loyalty right honesty loyalty consistency but kind of a faithfulness to your mission right so my workers they believe in my mission i mean they would they would die for this mission they would die for me they'll work when i say blood sweat and tears it's beyond blood sweat and tears it's they work day and night they work on saturdays sometimes on sundays to do the work for me to get it done because they believe in the mission they see wow look at what we are doing it's not Steve Green or Hope Forgana. Certainly. It's look what we are doing. They're part of it. Well, sure. So it's beautiful. So Platini uh, built that team. And yeah, we went library after library. And then I started thinking big, right? I had just enough budget, just enough money in the bank to think, wow, can I build a school? With a thought that, yeah, there are kids learning under a tree. We talked about schools mm-hmm. under a tree. That the still kids... is just amazing to me. And, right. and the kids would show up for that. Because there's up. that, because again, I They're believe hungry. there's that natural hunger there to learn. There is such a hunger. It's unbelievable. Right. Unbelievable. I've said that to people, and they, I've had that, I've been scoffed at for saying that. They didn't, they didn't believe there was a natural, the, 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 that parenting was, um, I don't know how to say it. Parenting was required to get children to learn. And parenting is important. 
Yes, certainly. But the hunger is in there, right, Doctor? The hunger is there. I'm going to tell you, when I open up a library, even even those uh, smaller projects, before I started building schools, the libraries, you would open up the doors, kids would run. We wow. had to like almost hold them back. Wow! Yeah, picture like a concert scene, like at Madison Square Garden. Like people just wanted to run. The uh, who? The who? Right? <laughs> this was the who inside there. The books were the who. Right. Exactly. Wow. The books, that chance, that chance. Yeah. They knew it's just innate. I think it is. It's innate. Who taught them? They had, a lot of these kids never saw a book before, a storybook before. Because that's what I fill my uh, library with. It's not so much textbooks. It's a little, uh, some textbooks, some encyclopedias, but storybooks. Mm. Dr. Yeah, Seuss, the things absolutely. we grew up with. Dr. Seuss, Stuart Little, basic. Things from, we took for granted. That's exactly right. And they're hungry for it. They, and it's innate because most of these kids had never seen a book. A lot of them didn't even know how to hold the book. They didn't know how to hold it either, you know, upside down. You have to almost teach them how to use the book. Mm. But mm. They, want, they want to engage with it. They want The it. yearning is there. The yearning is there. So yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, so we went from libraries. Then uh, I spoke to some people. I spoke to other people that kind of connected me. Everything in Ghana is connections, right? If you don't know how to do something, it's true in life. I find it here in Pittsburgh. If you don't know how to do it, sure, find the person who can show you, who can tell you how to do it, right? Correct. Because it takes a village. I mean, no question. I'm a doctor. Do you think I know how to build schools, no Eric? Right? Got I know it. how to build schools. I know how to build libraries. But I found the people that get me the people. Right. So now I got this team. This this I got the village helping me. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. So we built our first school between September of 2017 and September of 2018. It's not Franklin Regional. It's not you know. Well, tell Penn me Hills about High School. Well, how, tell me about the school. So I'll tell you. It's uh, we went. So so I collaborated. I spoke to this guy, very educated business guy from the capital, Accra. His name is Wisdom. It's a good name, right? The it's guy. a very good name. By the way, I'll, I'll Especially tell you. if he has any. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Ghanaian names are so beautiful. I mean, you just get, one word? Well, yeah, although they have multiple names. But, okay. but, but their first name is often virtuous traits patience, comfort, wisdom, um, hope, love. Really? Beautiful names. And then I'll, I still want to tell you the story about God's way. How do you not love the word God's way? Or God win, right? Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good mm-hmm. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're not religious, you just love Absolutely. that God's way, right? Like that, that kid has big shoes to fill, uh-huh. right? I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying, that's big. In some circles, very big. <laughs> right, right? So, yeah. So, um, so I met a, a business guy named Wisdom. And he said, wow, the school idea is amazing. I'm going to help you do it. And so and he was right. He, coll- he got me in touch with one of the members of parliament. So a member of parliament is almost like a senator. They each have, like a senator has a state here. Mm-hmm. They have the members of parliament there have their section of the country. I, forget, I think they're like 280 members of parliament. They have their section. So I met a wonderful guy, wonderful guy, Honorable Bernard Ahiafor. I've been working with him the last couple of years, and he shows me in his and it's a huge area that he's in mm-hmm. but beyond the poverty there's so there is so little in terms of schools there's so little in terms of access to clean water so it was the perfect he was the perfect guy for me to to meet and collaborate with and say bernard show me what you need let me look and kind of choose where i should do my next project okay so bernard took me before we started in September 2017, so it was probably the trip before then, let's say the winter, uh, my winter trip or February, he took me around to several villages 
and one worse than the other. I mean, I, I could go to any one of them and make an impact, right? Right. <clears throat> so he showed me this village, Gakpokope, Gakpokope, uh, small village, a few hundred people, small village, but a lot of surrounding villages that could take advantage of my work. No running water, no electricity, no paved roads. During the rainy season, their dirt roads are like flooded. They can People can barely pass in or out from there. Um, again, as we say, unfathomable in the American standard, right? We, we, we can't picture it. Not at all. So I fell in love with the people, and I thought, wow, that's my project. That's, that's where I'm going to build my first school. And so we built a four-classroom block. It's a beautiful horizontal structure, four classrooms, one of which also is a library. It's a beautiful amount of books, um, a staff room for the teachers, and then toilets, which is unheard of in Ghanaian, most Ghanaian schools, like a boys' room and a girls' room for the boys' toilets and urinals. Like, uh, let me be frank. I mean, most Ghanaian students are just taking care of themselves behind the school grounds, right? They, mm-hmm. There's no toilets there. Most mm-hmm. homes barely have a toilet in these villages. In fact, I would say none of them in the villages have toilets. So to put kind of that American standard on it and give them something better was right. beautiful. I bet. So... Um, so let me tell you the best the best part of that school. Let me tell you the best part of the the project that that took me to the next level. It took took my mission to the next level. So how do you build a school when there's no running water in a village, right? So how do you construction people your masons mix cement, right? And how you know, how do you flush that toilet? So that was my next question. I, right. How did you urinate over a toilet with no water? Exactly. So let me tell you. Let me tell you how it works, and let me tell you what it did to change my life and is now changing the lives of, like, thousands and thousands of people in Ghana. So people taught me that you can drill, you can build uh, or drill these boreholes. So you hire an engineer. I got this amazing engineer, a okay. brilliant guy. He's a water engineer with this enormous... Uh, apparatus he drills down into the ground hundreds of feet about 300 feet down into the ground finding those aquifers there's natural water there's a, there's right. a, a plethora of it's water like a, like a well he's like, he's... exactly but it's not an open well it's it's actually a borehole mm-hmm. that he creates with a pump so we can pump it out okay um if the village has no electricity you give them like a manual pump you've seen the where they're actually pumping wow. yeah we're old school wow but if you go the distance and you give them some electricity, uh, you can give them an electric pump. And through an electric pump, you can feed kind of like a, a reservoir, like a polytank, and then let the polytank come down and flush the toilets. Amazing. Where are you going to get electricity, Eric, in, in the middle of nowhere? Let's put solar sun? in. Let's sun? Put, let's, yeah. let's use solar. Well, they have a lot let's of sun, the sun there, that's for they sure. They have a lot of sun. And a lot of land to, to put the uh, the grids up, yeah. correct? So, Hofragana, at first people had talked to me about, oh, would you ever consider solar? And I didn't even know if the technology was in Ghana at the time. And then I thought about it. I looked into it, and I realized there's some companies there. And I found an amazing company. So on that first school, on the, on the roof of that school are 16 panels. That's a 5-kilowatt system. It feeds the electricity of that electric pump, bringing beautiful amazing. water. That's amazing. It's flushing toilets. Awesome. So not only does it feed the inside, but then we have my plumber has a faucet on the outside for the women of the village to fetch water. Right. So not only the school students you know, have their toilets and they have sinks now, and imagine that, like 
sinks with running water in, in a village that never saw running water. Right. But the most beautiful thing that I realized, and it was it was kind of accidental because I, I, I didn't do this project. I didn't do the water borehole in a humanitarian way. It was really just to feed my school, right? It, mm-hmm. was, it had a purpose. Mm-hmm. It had a function. Right. And then I realized when I did it, all of a sudden women were lining up for clean water. This water was beautiful. And I learned where they were getting their water from before. I can't imagine. Eric, these women, and, and this isn't one village, this is all over the, the country, probably all over the continent of Africa. They're walking miles, miles, women and children, to fetch, but not clean water, dirty water, like from a river dam, filthy water where the cattle are drinking, the cattle are probably defecating and peeing, you know. Slurry. Absolutely muddy water. You'll see it on my website. It's 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 filthy. It's it's mud. That's what they're drinking. That's what they're cooking with. That's what they're using to clean their clothes. That's what they're bathing with. Mm-hmm. They showed me this water, Eric. It's it it was pitiful. So when I finally built for the school this borehole, within minutes, women are lining up with like their pans, their pots. They, they'll then carry back to their homes a beautiful, clean water. Wow. It was amazing. That I probably was, the village. Yeah, that probably was just as impactful as every work you'd done prior, right? That's exactly right. And I'm going to tell you, I actually look back on that, that moment, that I realized it was even the most impactful thing. I even said to someone, like, if I died today, that would have been the best thing that I had done in my life. It was... Food and water supersede education water, for water survival, life, right? right? For survival. Water is life. And so, right, you, it, it took education almost, it made education go to the back seat a little bit, right? It never would. Education is still always the focus of my mission. Oh, sure. But water is now part of the mission. So now what I started to do, and we'll talk about the cost of it, because the yeah. cost is not enormous to, to change a village. It's not enormous. I started going to other villages, not even where I'm building a school but just giving the gift of water. So Hope for Ghana, to this date, has built eight boreholes. Oh my. Eight communities have clean water. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. When wow. I just came back, I was there in September, we just gave three more communities water. So if I asked you how much do you think it costs to build, to, to bring access to clean water, to build this borehole, bring a pump, um, because I ask Americans this, and, and I notoriously get interesting answers. But what, what would you say? What would you say? To, to drill down a couple hundred feet, three hundred feet, and then there's a, there's a pumping station there. Pumping station to give a, a community. But it's of coming up clean, people. though. It's coming up. Uh, it doesn't need to be filtered, correct? It's clean. Yeah, pristine. It's from the earth. From the earth. How much know. do you think? How much? Fifty thousand. And Americans tell me that they, 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 when I do presentations, they'll say to me tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes 50000 What if I told you I can do it with my engineer at cost? Again, there's no increase. I have no, $3,000. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's That's unbelievable. nothing it's for nothing. what it's bringing. Changing lives. Changing lives. Changing, reducing the chance of waterborne disease. I mean, people dying, like children and families dying from, like, the, do they, the stuff in do water. They don't, they, don't, they don't go there and drink that water cold. They, they hope they boil it, right? They we hope. sometimes do, and they sometimes, sometimes they don't. They don't always. And even if you boil it, that, that mud, that, that's so much, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, there's only so much you can you can boil that away. It's, it's, they've shown me the water. It is, it's bad. 
It's wow. it, it, it's brown. It's brown, dirty water. Incredible. Yeah. So for three thousand dollars, that's so, incredible. So it's incredible, right? So now that's become as I've gone out to speak to people, it's become sort of this new denominator. Not that I get three thousand dollar donations every day. I don't at all. But there's some. There's some churches. There's some people that well, say, sure. I'm going to give you three thousand. I want to do a borehole. Grace Life Church. Yeah. Grace Life Church in Monroeville has donated the cost of three boreholes. In fact, wow. two, of the th- two of the three that I did in uh, September, just last That's month, incredible. were on behalf of Grace Life Church, uh, Living Water Church in Christ in McKees Rocks. They're donating uh, the money for a borehole. Um, What's the, the process to do a borehole? From the, from the moment you bring the first piece of equipment on to the moment it's producing water? Yeah. It's, uh, if I told you I can do it in a day. Well, uh, well, to get the water in a day, it's all day drilling. It's... I'll have to show you a picture. It's it's a big apparatus. It's it's drilling slowly, slowly, slowly through the earth. Um, it takes how I'd what's say the circumference of that, that that um, probably about ten inches, something like that. Eight, eight to ten inches. Okay. Yeah, eight to ten inches exactly. I'd say more like ten inches. Okay. And then um, yeah, they leave. Uh, I guess it's PVC pipe, basically PVC piping down. That's what's still there. Incredible, um, and uh, sometimes they can hit the water before 300 feet. I think the first one we did, they did in about 200 feet. But most of them, the terrain is bad there. It's it's tough. It's tough. It it took about 300 feet, mm. and even the last couple took a second team. Then my engineer Francis had to bring in a second team. What's called hydrofracture. What is that? So uh, so he had dug the borehole. He was getting a little bit of water, certainly not enough for a community. He then outsources to a guy that does his hydro, sending pulses of high-pressure water. Basically, that water is breaking through more bedrock. Right. So it takes the little bit of aquifer that he found, and I guess it, it expands it and finds other aquifers. I'm not a water engineer, mm-hmm. so I don't know. You're going to be one by the time you get this right. done. <laughs> right? I just know the word aquifer. <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good word, right? I like the it's word aquifer. Word. Like, I found an aquifer, right? right? How many people in Pittsburgh have found an aquifer, right? <laughs> oh, bunches of them. <laughs> right, right? So that's what he's doing. He And, he, and you connect them to other aquifers, so you create like a more of a pond. And that's the well. Like you would, if you saw a well, sure. that's, what the we- that's the well, but you're, but you're not seeing an open well. It's not open Got water. Got it. Got it. So they can do that in a day, usually from early morning till evening they do that. And the next day, my guy hooks up the pump. Incredible. So, yeah. So I already have, uh, when I go back in the spring in March, I have um, three planned. I have three more planned already. Wow. And uh, yeah, anyone that wants to get on board, uh, I'm ready. My engineer and I are ready. We collaborate with, again, the member of parliament, the district assembly that kind of knows the communities, because how would I know which communities right. need it the most? Right. They, they know. Yeah. So the the government, is it is it a corruption issue? Is it there's no industry, so there's no tax base? If it really is a manageable number to bring water, why will the government not take care of their own people or it, try to? It, it's it's it, there's a lot of corruption in Africa. Let's okay. just say it's a lot of corruption. So money's going in the wrong hands, and and the resources don't reach these villages. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just so you know I'm not in the big cities at all. Oh no, I, I fly get it. into Accra. 
and I get out of Accra. I get it. I buy I my books it. there. I buy I, I buy all my stuff there. Uh, sure. My books, the computers. I have a place that sells brand new Dell computers. Right. When I do a computer lab, but I get out of there. I love being the man who's helping those absolutely the kids in the village. That I love that. And the more remote it is, the more gratifying. Right. It's just gratifying because mm-hmm. those are the forgotten people, man. They're forgotten, and so the government just doesn't put the resources there, and the government's putting the resources in the wrong place it's just amazing we'll never understand as a westerner a government that could never take a census would have no idea who's actually in their country that's exactly right naturalized is it Guyanans how you pronounce it Ghanaians naturalized Ghanaians that are there that were born there generations probably that there's no accountability there's no there's probably no social security number there's just not they're just there records are records are sparse records are really sparse birth certificates are sparse a, a, a lot of uh, people don't even know their birth date they don't know their birth because they have no records so that's just a it's, yeah. it's just again it's so hard it's to wrap our heads around it is that in 2019 if you saw the pictures of the water they're drinking that you can, that to even fathom that in 2019 with mm-hmm. the wealth in in the rest mm-hmm. of the world you know some parts of the world in, in the united states europe how do we allow it seems such a solvable it's, problem. It's so solvable. If I can go in with my engineer and do this already in eight villages, and I plan, Eric, I want to do hundreds. I want right. to do in my lifetime, I want to do hundreds and thousands right. of these. Right, why not? Why isn't the government doing that, right? Why isn't the United Nations in there? Where are they? You know, where are they? Where is everybody? Uh, I shouldn't have to be doing this. I love doing it. But right. It, it seems like it sh- there should be more of a sol- it should be more of a solvable problem. Incredible. But I think of the money that goes in there doesn't end up in the right place. The roads we drive on in Ghana are in just as bad condition today than they were twenty years ago. You know what I mean? Like the, it's just. Well, the they're probably not, not paved roads. They're just yeah. Some just, of them are paved, and they're potholes. When I talk about potholes, <laughs> almost like that sinkhole we had in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but it's like that. It's like that. You lose the whole car in there. Yeah, you can lose your car. Yes. So, so any, are there the people that are in these villages? And obviously, there's some may have some resources. Some most probably don't. Do there, are there cars? Are there are they that poor that there's just really poor. nothing? There's, there's just, nothing. So. Uh, if someone has just enough money, they can uh, get a car, and the conditions of the cars they're buying are pretty poor. It's usually the stuff that you and I would send to the scrap, you know, the, you know, mm-hmm. you know, to be thrown away mm-hmm. and scrapped. Uh, they're importing those cars. So if someone has just enough money, they can buy a car and hire uh, people to drive those cars as taxis. So that's a pretty good business there. Okay. They can do decently well because. Most people don't have a car, mm-hmm. so to get from their home, oh, hell, somebody place. have a place to eat. It's nothing to eat. No fresh water. I mean, it's just exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, yeah. Everything we take for granted is not there. So yeah, cars, cars are not there. But, but cars are on the road. But they're more taxis. You're not see, maybe in Accra, you'll see people with their private cars. But in uh, in the villages, it's more people with uh, getting around by taxis. So wow, but what but, you're talking about is, you know. People living in absolute destitution. Yes, is that correct? Yes. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. They are. Yeah, yeah. Access to education is like a privilege for them. They don't have. Most hell, they of them can't don't get food it. and water. Some of these people. Access to food is a privilege. Most of them in these villages, most of the kids in these villages, are eating maybe one meal or two meals, and they're just used to that. That's all they have. If they can get one meal, they're happy. 
Um, the concept of three meals and snacks like we do in America doesn't exist there. Doesn't exist there. Um, it, 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 it takes getting used to for me, and I have to get used to the difference. I'll give you, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. So sure. for someone to even do you a favor, if I was going to pick you up, you said, Steve, can you pick me up at the airport? I pick you up at the airport. I'm glad to help you, right? You're a friend of mine, so I pick you up. I'd never ask you to pay, right? I'd never say, well, can you pay, mm -hmm. uh, can you give me money or expect money? Mm -hmm. In Ghana, they will expect, you, you, you're expected to pay the gas because to deplete them of that that gas, they can't afford what, what they just expended there, you know? So you're gonna repay them. Mm -hmm. um, even if they're gonna cook for you in some situations, not always, but in some situations, you have to buy the food materials for them. As compared to if you invited me to your house, right, right. I'm assuming I'm not paying you for the food. <laughs> yes. Eric, right. or I'm not coming. I'm just going to tell uh, you I'm not going to come. I would blame you. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. But seriously, yeah. No, you're, it's expected. So I had this conversation. I had this amazing friend, my amazing friend, Senyo. Senyo's a 24-year-old Ghanaian. He's kind of like my right-hand guy. Okay. Um, trusts the guy. Loyal, trustworthy friend. And I'm kind of bringing him uh, close to me to be kind of that guy that's there in Ghana watching over my work almost like like a, I gave him the title grounds uh, operation ground operations assistant kind of okay. like when I'm not there he can watch things okay. and take care of small problems sure. small problems sure. for me so I asked Senyo that concept it's, it's really an interesting concept uh, I was telling him kind of this concept that if, if what charity is to me mm -hmm. is when you can do something for someone and you expect nothing back. absolutely right right but right. in Ghana, I was asking him why, and I kind of know the answer. It's not like I really needed the answer, but I was trying to still wrap my head around the frustration of it, of why, for example, even at the airport, if someone helps me with my bag, lifting my bag onto the cart, he's expecting money. If I don't give him money, he's going to be upset with me. Mm -hmm. In America, nobody, you know, mm -hmm. you just do it. You help, right. you help a brother you out, help right? People, right? You help people, right? You help people. So Senyo had this beautiful, it was pathetic, it was, it was a sad line, but a beautiful way he described it. He said, Steve, and I, and I knew it, it was, it's not like it was novel to me, but hearing it from my dear friend, like put it in perspective, he said, Steve, our pockets are dry. Our pockets are dry, that's why. We, we can't, you, you can pick that guy up from the airport mm -hmm. and bring him back mm -hmm. because you have the money for that fuel. We have nothing. Like, and he reminded, and, and, and I really didn't need reminding, but, but I kind of did. You know, like to hear it. Even the most remedial things, yes. they they don't have the resources for. The so resources when they do it as a courtesy, it depletes maybe their food or their water exactly or their right. anything else. Yes. So I'll tell you, there was an interesting moment. Senyu and I were stuck. So in the in the second village called Pevenu, it's the mm -hmm. second. It's the village where I'm building my second school. Right. We were stuck in a rainstorm. It was a monsoon rain. Mm -hmm. um, How often does it rain down there? Is so it's... they have a rainy season right now. Okay. Is there rainy season? Uh, the winter's their dry season. The summer into the fall is their rainy season. So I got... So it gets messy down there. I got hit by some rains, yeah. Okay. And on the main roads, it's not a big deal. But if you're in like the remote areas with dirt roads... Sure. They're unpassable. I have a video... Um, he and I did together where the road to my school was overflowing because it was a stream wow. nearby. It was overflowing. It became a river. The road mm. became a river. So 
we entered the village and the the rain was coming down hard so we uh were hanging out in uh someone's home in his room and i'm thinking am i ever going to get out of this village like i I may never leave i may never leave (laughs) and so i was a little hungry Sure. <laughs> so, so you see, it happens, <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, I wasn't prepared for this, right? Okay. Usually, for most things in God, I'm prepared, but right. I wasn't prepared. And I'm right. thinking, wow, this could be a long day. Uh-huh. So I said to Senior, I saw women cooking. I think they were frying like sweet potato. They had just grown from their farm. It's again, it's it's hand to mouth. It's from farm to hand to mouth. There, you, they're frying up sweet potato or something. Sure. So I said, Senior, we should ask them for like. Just a little, you know, a little. And he reminded me, gave me a great perspective. He said, Steve, but if you do that, or if we do that, they may not have dinner tonight, or they may not have lunch tomorrow. So I wasn't going to do right? Right? You can, mm-hmm. and, and we don't think like that, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't asking for, like, a big meal. I thought, no. like, maybe. And his perspective was beautiful. He's wonderful. That's why I love the kid. He's, he's just, he gives me that perspective when even after 33 years I still don't see it as he sees it. You it's know just what I mean? A it's a different, different way of life. It's a different way of life. So I think I know the Ghanaian way of life, and I and I and I'm pretty good at it. Sure. It's complex. It's complex. I'm still learning. So it was wonderful to, and, and I didn't, but what they did. So they have. Um, wow. We ended up eating watermelon. They have tons of watermelon. Okay. That that, that they that they grow. So we had watermelon. So it filled, okay. <laughs> filled me up. Oh, I really yeah. I, Eric, Not I really, a fan. I really, I really wanted the sweet potato. I get but it. But no sweet potato for me, right? Right. Because Sanya was beautiful. He gave me the perspective. So yeah, we take it for granted. I can ask you for this, but now I'm depleting you mm-hmm. of something. And, and they won't tell you they're depleting. They would have given me the sweet potato. And that's what he would have said to me. Steve, they'll never tell you this, but they're not going to have a meal tomorrow. So it was great. It was great perspective. Sad, sad. And as, as he said, our pockets are dry. It, it's it's, it's interesting. So again, Western world so hard to. Yeah. Uh, and we and listen, we we've seen the commercials for various charities. We've gone to churches yeah. and heard the stories. Um, but it takes something to really resonate. Like this conversation is resonating with me that I have, and I we I shared the story off camera about my good friend Brad Goutney who mm-hmm. works with. Um, uh, trying to combat children, uh, pediatric, I guess is the right word, pediatric AIDS in yeah. Africa. And, y- you know, him and yourself, people that have worked in the trenches, have been there. Yeah. It's so, more, so much more real to hear it from you right. as opposed to a celebrity spokesperson, as opposed to see something flash right. in front of you on the internet. Right, because I live it. Right, I, I've, I, I live it. And it, it. Correct. And in living it, it's interesting. It becomes normal for me, not... not it's disturbing, but it's like... Well, it's a normal. part of your life. It's a part of my life. So even I'll bring back footage. My video editor will look and say, Steve, people won't believe what you're going to show them. I'm like, oh, that's just that's just life there. And he said, no, but Steve, no one has seen that here. Like, mm-hmm. no one in America can fathom that, can appreciate the way they live. But for me, right, it becomes... That's that's the norm. I live, you know, it's, it's well, my day-to-day. portion of your life, you're living with them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, for a couple of months a year, and I want to do more. I want to do more. Yeah. So, now, so how, it's, how, yeah. so how? Give me the web addresses and how our, our yeah. listeners and viewers can reach you. I'd love to. So my website is is beautiful. dot com. So the web, the mission, uh, of course, the charity is Hope for Ghana, mm-hmm. a tax deductible, mm-hmm. tax exempt five hundred one c three charity. So everything people give is a hundred percent tax deductible. 
Uh, yeah, go to hopeforghana.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful page, videos on there, um, pictures, videos, blog page with every step of the journey is on there since day one of, right. uh, of this journey, nine, right. almost nine years ago. Incredible. Um, and yeah, we do, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what we, we, we do really well. It's, it's, it's grassroots. When I tell you, Eric, that this is a grassroots charity, this is, um, I'll, I'll tell you two facts I'm really proud of. 100% of the donations that people give go to the project. Mm-hmm. So Steve Green pays his own airfare. I pay my own guest house, my own food. Mm-hmm. So literally 100% of that dollar or $1,000 or whatever goes to the project. To the, to, it goes to the project. But what I love the most, it's really beautiful. I don't, I'm not bringing over teams of Americans to do the work. I'm giving Ghanaians a chance to work. So every bit of that money is in the hands of Ghanaians. Right. So that Mason now can feed his family because right. he's now making that money on, on the workmanship that he right. does. He feeds his kids. He sends yeah. his kids to school. It's purely can, parochial there. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's a beautiful cycle. It comes in and I get to be, I always tell people I'm the messenger of their goodwill. Mm-hmm. I, that, that's the gift that I have. I get to live it. I get to be the messenger of their goodwill. So the, the dollar goes beyond the concept of dollar. It go, the dollar purchases the water. But that dollar is also helping the life, the livelihoods, and the light, the lives of other these tradesmen's families. That's exactly right. So when we build a school, sure, we're building a school. So that village now will have a school for let's say 150 kids. Right. 150 kids will be educated. Maybe uh, at night the library will be open for their parents, you know, to, to learn. So it'll, it'll impact a lot of people. But I just impacted a crew of 20 to 30 people. Absolutely. Uh, you know, skilled workers, un- semi-unskilled mm-hmm. workers. We um, we bring in, it's, it's a beautiful concept of communal labor. So when I build a school, I have my core team, my masons, my carpenters, my electricians. But we bring in anyone from the community that wants to help. So as unskilled workers, you know, high school kids can uh, mix cement. They can do all kinds of stuff, and they make money. Mm-hmm. I, I, we pay them. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful. They've never seen no question. the ability to make money like that. So it's wow. really, really nice. So sure, it's and it's so they're paying their school fees. They're paying for food. They're paying... Yeah, it goes for whatever they need. It's it, it's amazing. So well, it's, 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 it's a blessing that you're able to find that technology uh, there and find and find the the we don't have to bring teams in. That, that's that's a blessing. That's exactly right. Right. So I, I kind of like it. I kind of like yeah. it. I think if I brought, I think the traditional charity and mission brings Americans it's over top with them. It's like or dictatorial, I should say. Exactly. And. I want it to be uh, built the way Ghanaians want it to be built. It's, it's still got the American concept. Again, the toilets are you know, well, not sure. typically uh, the solar power. You know, it, It's got the American touch. It's got the beauty that I want to bring in, but it's done the way they do it. And that probably endears you more to the people there, too. That's Am exactly I right? right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They love when you are part of their culture. They really, you know, they, they they love that. They they love that you want to be part of them when you eat their food, sure. when you speak even a, a glimpse of their language. And I can't speak. They, they have so many tribal languages. I know a little bit of Twi. That's what they speak in Accra, the capital. Okay. I know a little bit of Ewe, which where where I am right now in the Volta region, like hi, how are you, kind of thing. <clears throat> but when you can do that, you've endeared yourself. They love oh, I that. Bet. They I bet. love that. Now, are there? Do you travel with interpreters? Do you? Yes. you yes. I would imagine you, you probably have your team probably has interpreters 
in there now? So I use the local people in the village, uh, if I have an educated like high school kid. Sure. So the kids are learning English right now okay. in the schools. Okay. So if you get a kid in junior high school or high school, he's speaking English, but most of the elders are uneducated. They can't, so I need them. Or now my friend Senyo, who's like, uh, we're glued at the hip. He, he's my interpreter. Because it's commonality of language builds trust, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I would think. Yeah. And you want to make sure, I want to make sure they're hearing it uh, the way I want, that I'm trying to tell it to them. Dialects and all that. Yeah. Yeah, Things can be misinterpreted. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) Right? Yeah. We take that for granted, don't we? Yes. I'll tell you, even the English, it's so funny. Their English, even a well-spoken person, I'll think I'm hearing it the way an America would interpret it. We interpret right. language. Oh, sure. It's not just the words that are said. So I'll think, oh, I just know what you, what this guy said. Senyo may tell me, Steve, no, that's not what he was saying to you. And I'll look at him like, what are you, crazy? No, I know. It's my language, right? I think like, <laughs> like, arrogant, like it's my language. You go, no, and he's right. They use it differently. And I think probably all cultures, they use it differently. Mm-hmm. They, uh... It's just different. It's different. Yeah. So uh, I'm learning. I'm learning. It's a complex. It sounds like you're constantly. Com- you have to constantly keep learning there. Constantly learning. Every trip's a new. Yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, what comes through from our conversation, Doctor, is that you're so passionate about it. I love it. It's, oh, it's, I love it's that. Life. Yeah. I love that about life when people Thank find you. that. And, uh, Thank you. You know, yeah. I, I've been, you know, knock on wood, I, I, I look for that. I've had it. Yeah. I still have it. Yeah, yeah, it's and I beautiful. want that for everybody. If I could give, if I could give the gift of the world. That was the one gift I would give everybody is to find the passion. passion. Exactly, and this is my passion. I, f- I found it, and I and I think that's what allows me to be kind of the storyteller. That's the gift I can bring back from Ghana, mm-hmm. is to tell the story because the story is theirs. The story is the Ghanaian people, the joy. There is joy and hope and opportunity going on there. It's beautiful. Mm. It's it's their story. It's God's story, right? But it's right. but I get to be the storyteller. Right. So I get to be the messenger of the goodwill here. I bring the I bring the goods. I bring the donations and right. the, and the you know all that. Um, and we'll talk about other donations. I bring clothes and shoes. Like people bring me everything. Like so, it's not just. Of course, I depend on financial sure, donations. Sure. But my patients give me like clothes and shoes, and people like have brought me vitamins. I brought flashlights this time. Imagine going to a village without electricity and giving them flashlights. Is that powerful? That's hugely right? powerful. Yeah, I never thought the, of the it until one of my simple thing. Yes, one of my colleagues, Dr. Patty, had these uh, like handheld, like maybe uh, five inches tall. These flashlights at her son's wedding. It was out in a, an open area. I said, "Chris, can I have the extra, the extra, the extra flashlights you have? They were like amazing. I thought I could give those as gifts." Oh yeah. So. Of course, she went over and beyond. She like bought me like on Amazon like a of ton course, of them, of and I'm giving them out, and they're lighting this up at night. And bro, like, yeah, something like that is just yeah. like like amazing wow. to them. Right? Yeah, the it's wow, amazing! It, it's yeah. amazing. And God said, "Let there be light." Right? All of a sudden, there's light. So it's amazing. Again, yeah. the things we take for granted. Yes, yes, yes. It's yes. incredible. Yeah. So let me tell you. Let me tell you a story of God's because I love. I sure. love the story of God's way. Sure. God's way is an easy way. It's not hard there to change the world. Like, you can change people's lives there. So God's way is, I, I told you, we use a lot of communal labor. Right. So from the village. So I noticed right. this kid on the first phase of our school in uh, back in February. 
And there was all the kids work hard. They all do a great job. They're mixing cement. They're like, uh, you know, pushing wheelbarrows full of, you know, cement block and all this. It's heavy. It's it's hard work in mm-hmm. the scorching sun, right? And we don't know heat up here like they no, know down no. there, right? We didn't oh, talk about that. No. <laughs> That's if like, you see pictures of me, you like see me sitting, sweating. Sitting yes. on the sun. <laughs> yes. Well, it is. They're like six, I think it's six degrees above the equator. That's Donna. what I was going to ask you. How close to the they equator were, the were you? Yeah, I was on the sun. I was sitting on... <laughs> No, it's 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 hot. This boy sweats. So, uh, but I noticed one guy named Godsway. He says he's eighteen, but again, he doesn't know his birthday. But he's probably about eighteen or twenty. He was just, you know, you meet someone who's just harder working than everyone else. Godsway may be the hardest working human being I've ever met in my life. At the end of the shift, for example, most of the kids were going home. You know, the village, the school project is here. The village is not far away. They're going home, and he's cleaning the wheelbarrow, cleaning the wheels, cleaning. Everything had to be done perfectly. So I, I approached him six months ago in February. Well, now it's eight months ago, but but back on that first phase of the trip, and I and I just I told him how proud of him I was about mm-hmm. his work ethic, that I loved his work ethic. I told him I wanted to work with me. I wanted to stay on this team. And I wanted to do something for him because he's he's stuck in the village. He's doing nothing. He helps his family with farming, but he's never been educated a day in his life. So his future is there's there's not a lot there for him. So I asked him what he wanted to do, and he wanted to become a mason. So in uh, like we go to Votex, you know, vocational school here in America, what they would do to become a mason, you have to hire um, like a master mason and you are the apprentice for three years and you work with them day and night you know seven days a week you're with Mm -hmm. them and they teach you everything they know so you're not going to school it's just hands-on kind of like residency (laughs) exactly (laughs) without yeah it's true sorry oh my god sorry i was suffering then sorry i didn't realize how bad it was Thank you for reminding me of my tortured past now. But uh, so I found, so in February, I wanted to find him, you know, the, the that master who could take him under the wing. And I wasn't finding the right people. And then last month, I found one of the assemblymen. He's uh, kind of in charge of the village. He's, he's their spokesman. Okay. And I said, Robert, I love this kid. I, 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 I need to do something for him. Like, it's in my heart. Like, I, I just... You know, I need to do something. Mm-hmm. He said, I got the guy, I got this Mason, an established guy, serious guy, probably in his 40s. You know, he's been around, he's been around, he knows what he's doing. And so I met this Mason, Samuel, and I said, will you let this guy apprentice with you? He said, sure, he'll take him in. So you have to, there's like a ceremony. You okay. give some money, like like it's it's a thousand Ghanaian CDs. In the American world, it's nothing. It's not even $200. Wow. But for 1,000 CDs, his parents would never have 1,000 CDs. Right. So for 1,000 CDs, I have to hand that to the this, this guy, Samuel, and he will take this guy on. Mm-hmm. So at first, Samuel met with me privately. He said, yeah, he'll have to find accommodation. I said, Samuel, but I, I kind of used my friend Senyo's phrase. I said, their pockets are dry. I said, you'll meet this family. There's nothing. They have nothing. He has no way of getting accommodation. So, Sam, what does Samuel say to me? He can live with me. I'll take him in. Wow. So Samuel's taking him in. He pays him a, he'll pay him a, like a tiny, tiny stipend just for food money. And for three years, he'll uh, be, he'll apprentice him. And at the end of three years, this kid has a future. 
Amazing. So I'm a master mason. Amazing. I told him he's, I told God's he's going to build my home. If I build a home there, he'll build my home there. Like, I love that for nothing. Like, it's nothing. It's so easy to change their lives, yeah. right? Yeah. And now I've given him a future. He'll be able to take care of himself. He'll be able to take care of his parents. It's amazing. He'll be able to take care of his family. Like, it's amazing. And it's in him. He wants to work. He it's wants to work. So that's why I picked him. Uh, I, I picked him. In fact, I gave him a little speech. I'll tell you the speech I gave. I'll sure. you the first line of the speech sure. I gave. Sure. Um, and then I'll tell you about my obligation in three years. I have to have a graduation party for him. It's a great graduation party. Cool. You're invited, by the way. You're invited. Eric. I might go. You might, right? So I might I'll tell go. You. But um, I, I, I wanted to let him know that so many people would love that opportunity that he has like he has an opportunity in front of him that people would die to have so I used to like I love it I think I want him to use it as like the title of my book when I'm you know when I'm older right <laughs> you I should say, write a book in all you should write a book in all of Ghana I chose you like it's just and I don't even remember what else I said it was just a beautiful it was like a motivational speech that's a pretty powerful statement it was powerful right I loved it when I came out of it I'm like wow that was like I want it should be like a title of something right in all of Ghana and, it, and that was the theme of it that you owe it to yourself because there are millions of people mm -hmm. that would be in would would die to be in your seat. Mm -hmm. But I chose you because I believe in you, and that was really my chance to tell him why I believed in him. How I just was proud of his work ethic, like yeah, that, that, that was that meant everything to me, and that I expected the world of him. I wanted them to know that. Yeah. So it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. It was a little a sad story. It was a beautiful story. So, so you have to sign an agreement. Like I had a sign as his uh, sponsor. It was like an, a two-page agreement from the Mason. Okay. Um, you know that he has to follow rules. He can't steal. He can't lie. He has right. to come to work six six days a week. On the seventh day, they they rest there. It's nice. Um, I had lost a sign concept that, in this third world or uh, this uh, this Western world, yeah, right? Exactly. But so I'll tell you what was a little bit sad. Um, and I'm still getting to the graduation party. But this little sad thing is. There were a lot of signatures. His parents had a sign. He had a sign. He doesn't know how to sign his name. He doesn't know how to write his name. Oh Forget signing. He doesn't know how to write his name. Oh my. So what they do, it's interesting. They use they use ink, just like ink you'd fill a pen with, put it in their thumb, and they use a thumbprint. Thumbprint for the signature. So I told God's way, and, I, and I'm telling you, that before I die, Eric, I'm going to do this. I said, God's way, you're gonna, I'm going to teach you how to write your name. Like, right. Don't you think like, every man should know how to write his name? Every man, Absol woman, and child should Absolutely. know how to write their name, right? Absolutely. Even if you can't read, I want him to write his name, right? It's Again, just, we take that for granted. Yes, right? And then his parents had to do the same thing. They've never been educated. So it's interesting. So next time when I go back, God's way is going to know how to write his well, name. How come you physicians seem to really seem to lose? Forget how to write your name at some Maybe point I'll teach in time. Myself how to write. <laughs> Seriously, you should I've see. Seen, I've seen physician <laughs> signatures all through my life. Yes, they're horrible, aren't they? Thank God. You for, may want to get someone else down in to teach him how to write his name. <laughs> That's right. Thank God for electronic. When electronic records yeah. came yeah. into my life, maybe I don't know six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Most physicians curse it because it's it's it, it, cumbersome. It's, hard. it's cumbersome. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I never had to sign my name or write it. <laughs> but it's beautiful. So let me talk about the graduation party. Story. So, so yeah, so I had to pay a thousand CDs again. Nothing like it's nothing right. to give a kid a future. Right. I gave him a future for less than two hundred dollars. It's like, incredible. Do that right. So here's the graduation party. You ready for this? So in three years, I have to bring a crate which is twenty four cans or bottles of soda. So I'll do that. Okay. Okay. I have to bring 24 cans, a crate of, they call it malt. It's a non-alcoholic drink. It's delicious. Guinness okay. Company makes it. Okay. It's kind of got a hops flavor. It's it's just, 
it's a non-alcoholic beer. It's non-alcoholic. Yeah, but it's not alcoholic. Yeah, but not even beer. It's it's sweet. Almost uh, it's got a wheat flavor, molasses flavor. I didn't even it's have to describe like pop, it. Almost like pop then. Almost like a almost like, like, pop. like a pop. soda but, pop or something. Yeah, but a, but a specific flavor that I'm not describing well. But um, and I have to bring a goat. <laughs> yes. You gotta bring a goat. I gotta bring a goat. <laughs> Hopefully, one you can buy down there. Supposed <laughs> to take it on the plane with you. You mean no one's donating a goat? <laughs> well, I mean, my wife's a flight attendant, and I've heard all kind of. If you put a little red vest on there, you probably could get a goat on the plane. So she has some pull. I can get that. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a very pull. Her, I can play, get a goat oh my on. gosh! Oh my yeah. gosh! And a goat is uh, even my workers have kidded with me. Like Steve, we've done a really good job. You should buy us a goat. It's it's, it's food. It's it's I guess it gives milk. It, like it right. could run around it's sustainable milk. Yeah. it's sustainable right. ultimately it gives you know meat you know it's so yeah so it's the ultimate gift there a goat a goat I'm gonna get Samuel <laughs> the Mason a goat right? well you have to that's part of the agreement it's right it's the agreement Incredible. And malt and soda. Who would have thought? Like, I never thought. If you told me 10 years ago, Steve, you're going to be signing an agreement that you owe a guy a goat, I'd say uh, that's a little. Take him a case Iron City beer. will change their life. Right. I should do that, right? Bring a little Pittsburgh. Bring him a little Pittsburgh. Yeah. They do drink beer down there, but uh, yeah. But he wanted. What brand of beer do they drink down there? They have some uh, indigenous Ghanaian beers. Um, Gold Star. Nothing we'd see uh, up here, imported no, in, right? But, but they have stuff from uh, like Europe. They okay. have they have some Guinness. Okay. They have um, some. Uh, I forget the other names. Guinness is the big one there. Really? But, they, but then they have some a couple of Ghanaian industri- uh, indigenous beers just just made in Ghana. Yeah. So Guinness is just their afterthought of a beer, but here we pay more for it. Good figure, right? <laughs> it's a second choice. They want their they want their uh, interesting their Ghanaian beer. Yeah. That's interesting. But, so. Yeah. So before we finish up here, right yeah. turn back to Pittsburgh. When yeah. you're home, what does Doctor Steve like to do with whatever <laughs> free time you actually find? Yeah, not a lot of free time, right? Right. right, right. right. I, I Pits- admire you for that. Yeah, right, right. I have two, like two full time jobs. Mm-hmm. I love Pittsburgh sports. I'm a big mm-hmm. Steelers fan. Um, Trying to get a few of those on this show here soon. Yeah, good. Past and current. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Working good. on that. Working that would on be that. beautiful. Yeah, yeah that I always do. goes over well in Pittsburgh, right? Absolutely. Steelers go over well Absolutely, in Pittsburgh. Man. Yeah, I take my dad. I take my dad. My dad's an avid Steeler fan from New oh, York. Cool. Born and bred in the Bronx. How'd that happen? And somehow he uh, loved that I was in Pittsburgh. Started watching the Steelers. He fell in love with Jerome Bettis. Mm-hmm. You know when Jerome was. You know Jerome. He was, the he was a good one. Grit, right? Mm-hmm. Hard working, blue collar. Grit. He respected that, and it was around that time, maybe like fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah that he, he fell in love with the Steelers. Wow. I actually took him to the Super Bowl. The one uh, it was cool. in Tampa Bay where we beat Arizona. Yeah. The last Super yeah, Bowl it was, we won. Oh uh, nine. February first, oh nine. Yeah, we went. Very cool. So I take him to a game each year. So I love the Steelers. I go to sports games, sometimes Pirates games. I need more of a reason, I think, to... Yeah. We all do. <laughs> I need, need a reason to get excited. We all um, do. Yeah. Play, play some music. Yeah, uh, piano. I here, right? I'm a piano. I'm a piano guy. Pianist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents <laughs> actually is a cool story. When I bought my house, I bought it in 96. Okay. May of 96, like the next week, what arrived at my house was... Steinway Grand Piano is the piano I grew up on. I, I grew up playing wow. from New York. My my mom wanted me to have it. Amazing. So it's sitting in my living room. I don't play it enough, and uh, 
Yeah, I, 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 I could have, if I practiced the piano like my mother told me to, I, I maybe could have been good. See? Right? <laughs> I never did, so, but now I love is it. it. Thera- I play- is it therapeutic for you? I, I in the essence it. that yes. it's a diversion. I love it. So now I don't read like classical music and study, although I'd love to get back to it because mm-hmm. it was beautiful. But I just play by ear. I'm like a 70s guy, Billy Joel, Rod Stewart, Elton John, like that that kind of stuff I can sing. And I wouldn't sing in front of you, but I'm like that. <laughs> but uh, like that classic rock stuff, right? But but just, yeah, pop pop yeah. rock. I, and it's therapeutic. I Absolutely. love it. I don't know if my neighbors love it. but I have that problem with guitar. I'm not sure my neighbors love it either. But uh, <laughs> no matter where I've ever lived, I don't think any of my neighbors have ever loved it. Um, yeah, yeah, if it's loud. So I, I actually mm-hmm. took guitar lessons. I took two or three years. For, for me, it's a bit more of a struggle. It, it's work. Whereas the piano, I don't even have to look at the key. I can just play. That's interesting. I hear it. I, I can play by ear. So I had to. That's it, interesting. Guitar is just different for me. I, I, I didn't grow up on it. It was just more of an. It was more in high school an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Piano. I started when I was seven years old. So a lot of correlations between the two instruments in regards to the, the way the musical, the chordal things, chords. Yes, it's therapeutic. Isn't <laughs> it it? Is. Music oh, oh, is. Oh, what a question. You know, let's talk about Ghana again. What, what, what's yeah. the music down there? Well, the, oh, uh, the music is beautiful. Uh, a lot of drums. You'll hear it in church. You'll hear uh-huh. a lot of stuff in I church. I think so. Drums. Um, at 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 uh, weddings and funerals, they'll often have a brass band, um, especially uh, like at funerals. Okay. They'll, they'll lead the procession with a brass with band. Brass. Okay. So they do a little. Are there bit any of that. fretted instruments at all down there? Is it prevalent? Think, like guitar or any kind of version know. of a guitar? Or? I don't know that I've seen that. I think it's drums. Interesting. They have some keyboards. They have some keyboards if they can afford. Again. Um, Many places can't even afford that to have oh, the instruments. Sure, sure, but they learn keyboards. I don't know. I'll find out. My next mm-hmm. trip, I think I'm going to find out if they play the guitar. There you are. I don't know. That <laughs> I don't think I've seen a guitar there. Really? Yeah. yeah, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just not. Yeah, you know, in these small churches I go, there's no. There's much of anything. There's not much of anything, right? Yeah. So, so maybe in the bigger churches there are. Yeah. Uh, yeah I can't yeah. say. But I'm going to find out for you. This was excellent, my but friend. It was good, right? Was this easy for you? Good time? It was a great time. Yeah. Anytime I can share, I'm uh-huh. telling you, there is so much joy over there. There's joy in my life. There's I, joy I, in- I can hear their joy through you. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. I always uh, I always was bothered. Do you remember the Sally Struthers commercials? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forget what she was advertising for. It, you would see these kids in Africa with mosquitoes and mm-hmm. the bellies mm-hmm. from starvation, mm-hmm. I thought- Wow, there's another story in Africa. Why aren't why aren't people showing it? And my, the biggest compliment that people give me when I send out my emails, you know, send out these email blasts of mm-hmm. like when I come home from a trip, all the pictures of these kids, mm-hmm. they tell me I can't believe the joy that I see in these kids, the, the happiness, the joy, the look in their eyes. Then I've done well. I've done well. Yeah. I brought back that joy. There is joy because that's that's another part of the story. It's a huge part of the yeah, story. Why would you not show that? Yeah, it's not to say they're not weeds in the garden, right? You can't ignore sure. that. They're, it has a lot of weeds. But there's a story of joy, and I think Hope Fragana is bringing a, bringing a lot of that into these villages that otherwise would be forgotten. So, so yeah, I can't wait to get back. You're invited. You can come. And you're uh, invited back here too. I love that. Yeah, I love yeah, that. I tell is, you because the story is evolving, right? That's the whole point. The story is evolving. Absolutely right. Maybe uh, and it's hopefragana dot org dot com. Oh, so hopefragana dot com. Uh, hope for G-H-A-N-A dot com mm-hmm. and yeah and uh, people want to get involved they want to donate I love it because mm-hmm. I, I want to do more I want to build like 10, 15, 20 schools well, such a low entry point to build absolutely a school a school costs probably about seventy-five to $80,000 wow. that's it to educate 
hundreds of kids. Or just the water. Just just the water yeah, device. The water, 3,000 is, not, that's, is that's nothing. That's insane. So, yeah, people, if people want to get involved, yeah, sure. for Some, sure. I think churches have uh, had a great attraction to my mission. Um, everything is tax deductible from a corporate standpoint or an individual standpoint. Yeah. So come on board. Right on. I'm going right? to. The team has just to. grown bigger. Eric, you're part of the team. I'm going to. You're part of Hope for Ghana. I am. That's it. There's hope. Whew, thank you, my friend. My this pleasure. was fantastic. Eric, this is amazing. And right? I appreciate you taking the time out. It means a lot to me. It was great. It was an honor. An honor to be here. Your place is, wow, this is electric here. Thank you. Not, not literally with electric, <laughs> electric Nothing guitars. Nothing <laughs> Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's got the vibe. Again, a positive, real, real Thank you very vibe. much. Well, I definitely hope you come back in soon, too. I can't wait. Thank I you, doctor. Wait. Thanks, All right. Eric. We are out. Thanks, guys. God bless. There you go. Eric. Did you like it? Was it good? I loved it. I yeah, loved it. Man, I mean, was it's, it good? It's, Did it from, from oh, your you're end? Phenomenal. And, okay. and, and your story really comes across. Good, 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 good. And great speaker. Are very articulate and you're very the, the passion that you have for the human condition comes through though.